But we're going to continue in our study of the book of John, John chapter 13, starting with verse 18 this morning. And I've entitled the teaching, Betrayed That Scripture May Be Fulfilled. Betrayed That Scripture May Be Fulfilled. And we're going to see the start of this betrayal uh, by Judas. And the actual betrayal itself, uh, I guess depending on how we look at it, you could say, well, it's happening right now because it's at this point that he really rejects Jesus and then the actions that follow. And, And most of us are familiar with that. But a betrayer, Webster's Dictionary says, to be unfaithful or disloyal to, to sell out, to stab in the back. <laughs> and we see that definition and we kind of go, oh, well, I think I maybe have been a betrayer at some point in time. We've probably all been there. Uh, to be uh, in a place where we're being deceitful or we talk about someone or, or whatever, we are to some degree betraying them. Not, get, don't get me wrong, it's not to this degree that we're seeing what's going on here. To de- betray the very Son of God uh, is something you know, to be said for that. But I guess uh, we could also say that any time that we're in a place where we're not standing firm for the Lord, we are in, to some degree betraying or rejecting who the Lord is. Now granted, we have the Lord in our lives, so we know and the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we know that's not going to go on for very long because uh, the Holy Spirit has us on a, on a leash, doesn't he? He's going to rein us back in. He's going to pull us back in because that's part of what his ministry is in our lives. So betrayer or hypocrite, we hear that term a lot. A, per, a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion. A person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. So here we have Judas who's accepted his role of being one of the twelve, right? And yet he is the one who will betray the Lord. And so he's putting on this form of religiosity, and yet that's not who he is at all, right? He's he's in some ways pretending to be who he is. So whether whether it be in a history class, a literature class, or a Bible study, when someone refers to a betrayer, The name of Judas comes up, doesn't it? Especially in uh, Christian circles. That's probably the first person that we think of. And it's interesting how popular biblical names are to this day, right? There's there's a lot of people that have a a biblical name. uh, Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, John, Timothy, uh, Paul, or Peter. Biblical names that we, we, we know. And even for women, Sarah, Mary, Ruth, Deborah, Elizabeth, they're all fairly common names that we see in our society, and they're biblical names as well. But what about names like Nimrod? <laughs> I don't know if you guys do, but I kind of grew up, that was a name that we used, what a Nimrod, you know? But Nimrod was actually known as a mighty hunter before the Lord. He's one of David's mighty men, Nimrod. Well, how about Dodo? Are you familiar with that name in Scripture? And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but the alternative, obviously, we don't want to go there. (laughs) So we'll just stick with Dodo. (laughs) But he was the father of one of David's mighty men, Dodo. And then there's Theophilus. We know who Luke referred to him in, in, in his gospel, Theophilus. You know, when he was born, he said, that's Theophilus baby I've ever seen. So that's how he got his name, I guess. But Theophilus, you don't hear that name used much these days. And then there's the ladies, Jezebel. She was married to Ahab who sold himself to evil, which was incited by his wife, Jezebel. Not too many Jezebels, you know, this day and age. In fact, if you hear of anyone who decided they're going to name their newborn girl Jezebel, uh, talk to them, please, and let them know probably not a good thing. Delilah. Delilah's one as well, right? She really messed with Samson. She was a deceiver. Nobody gives their children names like that anymore. And for good reason, because we know who they were uh, biblically and what their actions were biblically. Now, my mom, uh, when uh, tried to get Chris and I to name our 
first child, who's Lacey. She wanted us to name Lacey. It's the first grandchild on both sides. So she wanted to name us to use the middle names of her grandmothers. Well, one grandmother's middle name was Emmeline, and the other grandmother's name was Ameline. So you want us to name our daughter Emmeline Emmeline, you know? I guess we call her Emma Emma or something. I don't know. You know, where we go with that. Obviously, we didn't do that. But did you ever meet someone named Judas? No, I cannot think of anyone that I've met that's name was Judas. Now, if you look at the history of that name, it was actually part of Judah. So Judas and Judah really mean the same thing. We see it as meaning what? Deceiver, because that's the definition that it's taken on. But in that time, in that day and age, it meant Judah, which meant praise. Which I'm sure for his parents to name him praise and then see what happened in his life, if they did, uh, disappointing to say the least. So nobody names their kid Judas. Nobody sends their kid to Benedict Arnold Elementary School. You know, (laughs) You you wouldn't do that. Nobody wants to brand their child with a name like that, the name of a traitor. And think of the legacy left behind by this man called Judas. It wasn't enough, and we know that that he was a thief and a deceiver. We see that in John 12, verse 6. But as we will see in our text this morning, he is the one who will betray the very Son of God. And then in that, he will betray God himself. Now let's look at John's account of this interaction with Judas in her text this morning, starting with verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you again, as always, for the opportunity to open your word and study it verse by verse. Uh, Father, praying that that we uh, glean from the scriptures uh, the wisdom and knowledge that you desire for us to glean. And Lord, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit is not only present as I teach, but also it's pres- He's present, uh, Lord, in the lives of everyone here, that they may hear, that they may see what it is that you have uh, for them, for each one of us as we gather together, Lord. May you be blessed and glorified as we uh, study your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So he says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know who I'm, whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. If you're one that likes to highlight, take notes, underline, whatever, underline that, that the scripture may be fulfilled. Important, important uh, phrase there. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus quotes what David said in Psalm 41.9. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. So David is more than likely referring to being betrayed by the man who was his trusted counselor, Ahithophel. Ahithophel turned traitor and joined Absalom, David's son, in this rebellion against David. That's in 2 Samuel chapters 15 and 17. It's interesting to note, too, that both Ahithophel and Judas end up hanging themselves in the end says, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. Scripture will be fulfilled in three ways we will see here even in our text this morning. We'll see that Jesus will be betrayed by Judas. That's talked about in verses 27 through 30. Jesus will soon be crucified and resurrected and go sit at the right hand of the Father. We see in verses 31 through 33. And then Jesus will prophesy that Peter will deny the Lord three times. We see that in verses 36 through 38. So the reason that Jesus is telling them these things before they come to pass is explained for us in verse 19. Let's read that. Now I tell you this before it comes to pass, that when it does come to pass, 
you may believe that I am He. Jesus didn't want the treachery of Judas to weaken His disciples' faith. Now we know, and we will see as we read on, it still did, but this is why He related it to the Word of God, to the Scriptures, that the Scripture may be fulfilled. So that when they saw all of it fulfilled, it would make their faith even stronger. He tells them in John chapter 16, we'll see that when we get there, verse 1, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. He's saying it to them to, to encourage them. I want you to know you're going to see some strange things take place. Some crazy things are going to be happening. But I want you to know that all of this is being done so that the scripture may be fulfilled. So he's basically saying, hey guys, strange tough, strange, tough times are ahead of you. And your faith in me will be shaken because of the events that are about to take place. Imagine, if you will, what these guys are going through, or what they're going to be going through, what they're going to see, what they're going to experience. The past three years spending all this time with Jesus, and Jesus telling them and sharing with them, this time's going to come. As we've talked about it before, he constantly said, my time has not yet come, my hour has not yet come. Well, the hour is here. It's time for this. And they don't understand or will not understand all the things that are going to take place but he's encouraging them and telling them that the scriptures may be fulfilled. That what he's doing was prophesied in scripture and it is going to take place, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer because everything that's taking place, what is and, and was the plan of the Father all along. So from this time to the time of his rest, we will cover four chapters. And Jesus spends this time teaching and encouraging his disciples right up until the time that he is arrested. So that when all things do come to pass, that he says will come to pass, they will still believe in Jesus as who he says he is uh, and what he's done, what he's taught them all along. It's a good lesson for us as well, because when we go through tough times, through trials, we can rest in the fact that Jesus has said in his word, Everything that he said it, it was and is true for us as well, right? We can be comforted by that. We can have peace in that. That he, has, he came into this world for the purpose that the Father sent him for, and we are recipients of that purpose, right? We, we have come to know him, and he wants us to be encouraged as well that when we face these tough times, to know that, he said, in this world, we're going to have tribulation, didn't he? Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So he is there for us. We can rest in his word and what it promises us. We can find strength and comfort in the scriptures for us as well. When we're doubting, when we think we're all alone in something, that, that we're without help, he is there on our behalf. He promises that. So we can trust in Him and not stumble during those times. He is an ever-present help in time of need, Scripture says. Well, He goes on to encourage them even more in verse 20. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He sends them, we're going to see, and us, out as ambassadors. He sends them and us out as representatives that others may hear about Him through you and me and believe in Him and receive Him. He involves us in this work. He came to this earth to teach and counsel and train and equip His disciples. And in that, since it's documented for us in His Word, that is done in our lives as well for a purpose. He continues His work, the work that the Father sent Him to do, He continues that work through us. I don't know about you guys, but that's kind of awesome when I hear that. It's like, wow, I'm an extension of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He uses me, me. <laughs> I mean, do you guys feel that way? He's using me. Can you imagine to accomplish his work, to continue on his work. 
Verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. Now that text alone indicates to me they had no idea, right? Matthew expounds on this in his gospel account. Matthew 26, 22 says, And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? They didn't know. They had no idea who it was, and they become concerned that it could be me. It could be me that's the betrayer. Interesting that each one of the disciples suspected himself before they even suspected Judas. They had no idea. They were clueless about this. I joke about it that uh, in Greeley when we were doing the discipleship thing, I had 11 guys that I was doing discipleship with at one time, and I had another guy that wanted to do it. And I thought to myself, can't do that. Got to find two more because I better make it 13 because if it's 12, one of them's going to betray me, you know, <laughs> which, which wasn't true. I mean, they weren't going to betray me, but, but you, you just kind of get to run those numbers and you think, ah. So anyway, verse 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, whom we know is who? John. It's John, right? The author of this gospel. John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's, it's quite a claim. You know, it's kind of, quite a claim to make about you. It's kind of like Moses saying, Moses was the most humble man on earth. And who wrote that? Moses. <laughs> it's interesting. But uh, again, we have to remember, it's God speaking these words through John, right? So John makes this claim, the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's true of us as well. We are all disciples of Jesus Christ, and He loves us. So it's not that far of a stretch to say that, right? We could say with much confidence, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. We are. Megan has this t-shirt that she used to wear. I don't know if she still wears it or not, but because uh, she's married now. I don't see her as much. You know, but <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. That's what her t-shirt says. <laughs> and you like to think, man, Jesus, He does. He loves us. He loves us so much. And we are disciples whom Jesus loves. Now we know that Peter normally just speaks up, don't we? Peter with the foot-shaped mouth. We know that Peter normally just gets it out there and it gets him into trouble on a regular basis. But this time we see in the text that Peter takes a different approach. Verse 24, Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. He motioned to who we were just talking about, John, leaning against uh, the chest of Jesus. He asked him to ask, who is it? So John, verse 25, then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? It's as if Peter was saying, okay, John, you're one of his favorites. You're close to him. You ask him who the betrayer is. If I ask him out loud, he might say, it's me. That's the way I see it. Peter's like, I'm going to work behind the scenes here because if it's me, which all these guys thought it could be them, they didn't know who it was, John will find out and maybe we can kind of handle this, you know, quietly. It's not for everyone to know. But Jesus answered in verse 26, he says to John, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, this is an interesting scene. It's not the scene that you see in the painting of the Last Supper, okay? That's not the way it looked. That, that, that is uh, quite the arrangement when you think about it, this nice big table. And it's almost as like, okay, we're going to take a picture. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody pose. You know, John's leaning against... This is not the way, way it was at all. Uh, first of all, it wouldn't have been in color, right? It had to be in black and white because color wasn't invented yet. But aside... <laughs> well, it had in paintings and stuff, just not in pictures. But I don't know why I went there. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> uh, if you knew what was going on up here sometimes... Uh, we know that in that time... 
it was more reclining, wasn't it? It was like tables that were built low to the floor, and they were just reclining. And John happened to be leaning on Jesus. But there was a place of honor at any table setting, and it was to the right and the left of the honored guest. And so in the other Gospels, we see that uh, Judas would have been sitting on one side and John on the other. That's really interesting to me. When you think last week when we talked about Jesus even washed Judas's feet, right? And now we see in this scene that Judas is sitting in a place of honor. Jesus still loved Judas. Even though he was the betrayer, Jesus still loved him. Even though he knew he was going to be, Judas was going to reject him, the love that he had for Judas was as great as the disciple whom Jesus loved, sitting on the other side. And so Jesus says to John, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it, and having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So the, John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is leaning against Jesus' chest. He has a front row seat to all this action. John hears, I believe, what Jesus says to him. And he sees Jesus dip the bread and give it to, to Judas. John hears what Jesus says to Judas. Doesn't he? I mean, it makes sense that he would hear that. But look at verse 27. This is interesting. And verse 28. Now after the piece of bread... Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. So we would presume that John heard this. But in verse 28, it indicates that maybe John didn't hear or certainly didn't understand. He just didn't get it because verse 28 says, But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. Now, if you look up those two words, no one in the Greek, I don't know a whole lot of Greek, but it means... No one. It's pretty simple. No one at the table. So if John's writing and he said, no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him, it's either one of two things, isn't it? John's saying, no one but me, or he's saying, no one. And if we look at the scripture for what it says, I believe it's no one. Now, why would that be? Let's say that you are one of the other disciples, and it comes out at this setting, who is the betrayer? What do we see Peter do later? He pulls out a sword, lops off somebody's ear, right? It would have upset them. They would have wanted to protect Jesus. They would have wanted to have stopped this whole thing from taking place. But they couldn't, right? It had to happen. It was Scripture being fulfilled. This had to take place. So it kind of makes sense when you read this verse and said, no one at the table knew for what reason, because... Judas needed to betray, get up and leave and go do his thing in order that the events that were going to take place by God's plan over the next 24-hour period would take place, right? It just makes sense. Nothing was going to stand in the way of God's plan. Even this, even this situation. So they just didn't know. Obviously, they know later on, but not at this time. Because, verse 29 says, For some thought... Because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things that we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So their thought uh, was is that since Judas took care of the money box, he was the treasurer of the group, if you will, that Jesus was just telling him to go get uh, donuts you know, for later or water bottles or you know, whatever it might be, something that, that, that was needed. They didn't understand what was taking place. The disciples didn't. So they just thought he was being sent on an errand or something. It was as if, it was as if they didn't think that it was possible for Judas to be the betrayer. He was the treasurer. He took care of the money. So they didn't know who it was at this point. And how do we know that? Well, verses 27 and 28 give us the indication for that, but no one at the table knew for what reason. Verse 30, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Now, when I read that, we're all familiar with the story of Judas, this whole scene that takes place. But it really stood out to me when I read this this week. He received the piece of bread, then he went out immediately. That's not surprising. And it was night. 
And I just thought, well, now why did John share that with us? Why did he put that in there? It was night. Well, the obvious reason is what? Because it was night. But what is the significance of that? What, what does that say to us? I was sharing before the service with a couple of the guys that uh, it's been so interesting to me that as the week progresses, as I'm studying the text to, to, to share it on Sunday mornings, the way that God speaks to me about certain things. And one of those things, I told you I was going to make reference to this in the announcements, is when it comes to the, the subject of, of Halloween this time of year. And I know as Christians, we all agree, we do not celebrate that holiday, if you will. We just do not do that. But what God said to me in this, as I had been contacted by uh, Grace Place, wanting to know if we wanted to be involved with this thing here in the city, was that that is probably what we would consider to be one of the darkest nights of the year, wouldn't we? Because of what's being promoted, because of what's being celebrated, as we know over, over the years what that means. Uh, it's the darkest night of the year. And so God just kind of put it on my heart. Well, if you take all of the light out of the darkest night of the year, what does that leave? We need to be a light shining in that dark night, don't we? Does that make sense? Now granted, we don't promote what's being promoted with that. What we're saying is we want to be a light shining in that darkness. We want to be a light shining in the darkness all the time. But especially if we have the opportunity to be a light shining, to be able to minister in some way on that night, I think we should do it. And this is not a, I hope you understand, this is not selling out, it's not peer pressure, it's strictly opportunity to minister, which we should be looking for every day, right? We should. So the focus on that, I want everybody to understand, is not supporting or in favor of this thing called Halloween. What it is is an opportunity for us to make a stand and be a light in the community standing for this and an opportunity to share. So we're just going to set up a table and do coffee and hot chocolate. And opportunity to give the kids some candy, yeah, with a track in there as well. Uh, if we can do this and give God glory, then I believe it's something we should do. Okay. If anybody wants to talk to me about that or uh, stone me after the service, whatever, you know, that's okay. I, uh, good luck with that. I've seen some of you guys throw rocks. I'm not really all that worried. I'll stand right in front of you and just go, bring it up. No. <laughs> but if you want to talk further about that, uh, I'm, I'm willing to do that. But I just, you know, I have been one of those persons in the past that was kind of that way, that's just like, Eh, you know, the church doesn't want to get involved in that. Well, yeah, the church doesn't want to get involved in Halloween. We know that. However, we do want to get involved in dispelling darkness with light, right? So that's where it's coming from. So that's why that stood out to me, and it was night. Because this is a very dark time. It's going to be a very dark time in the life of Judas. We know that as the story unfolds. But it's a dark time for the disciples as well. And what is Jesus doing? He keeps bringing them back to that the scripture may be fulfilled, that the light of the world is here, he's present, and he is fulfilling by the scriptures what it is that God had for him to do. He's still a light shining. The light has now come into this room where the disciples were meeting, and he is, if you will, now transferring the light into their lives by what he's sharing with them, encouraging them, because they are going to be his extension in the world now, just like, just like we are, to go out into the darkness and bring light to that darkness. So, it was night, it was dark. This betrayer, this traitor, he will do this deed and he will take his own life in the process. He is a man who pretended to believe, to fit into this group. It's, it's just such a sad story of the life of Judas, this tragic life of Judas. I had someone ask me this week when I was at work, when I was talking about this is what we're going to be looking at in Scripture this week. Why? This guy, by God's hand, was really doomed from the beginning, wasn't he? Well, in God's plan, there had to be a betrayer. There had to be someone who did this very thing. And it was Judas, and you kind of go... Well, it's kind of unfair, isn't it? I mean, if you look at it, you just think, 
Well, he didn't, he didn't have a chance. It was just, here's all I can say to that. God's sovereign, and God did it for the reasons that God did it, and God's never wrong. So I have to agree with what God did. That's hard, because you just think, well, what if I was Judas, you know? Wouldn't like that at all, no. But yet, God's sovereignty is carried out. God does what God's going to do according to God's plan, and it's never wrong. It's perfect. It's not only perfect in, in execution, but it's also perfect in timing, isn't it? So that's what's happening here. Verse, uh, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 24, the Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of Him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And all we could say is amen to that, right? It's a sad testimony to the life of Judas that he made this choice to do what he did, but it was also ordained by God that he would. Verse 31, So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. So just as quickly as Judas went out, immediately, God is glorified in that, right? Immediately. Jesus will be glorified. God will be glorified because the plan of God for the salvation of all who will believe is set in motion. All that the Father had given the Son to do will soon be complete. The hour has come. The hour that the Father and the Son will be glorified. So by faithfully doing and completing the work the Father gave the Son to do, the Father and the Son will be glorified. How does that affect our lives? We too, by faithfully doing the work that the Father has given us to do, whatever that is, we bring glory to the Father and to the Son. Again, what a privilege He has given us to be a part of His work, to be that extension of His ministry, representatives, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity ourselves to fulfill the Scriptures. And that what He's called us to do, what He's commanded us to do, we being obedient in doing that, we're fulfilling the Scriptures as well. And it glorifies the Father and it glorifies the Son. Just by being faithfully obedient to His commands, we bring glory to God. Now we're going to see that Jesus begins to teach and share with His disciples to further prepare them for what is to come. Verse 33, little children. <laughs> Isn't that interesting how, what He calls them? You know, in Scripture, when Jesus talks about us having what? The faith of a little child. In, in the book of 1 John, we see in there that Jesus, uh, or the author makes reference to, in Jesus, us being three different types. Little children, young men, and fathers, right? And as you look at that, you think, okay, well, if we looked at little children as being those who just came to the Lord, brand new Christians, baby Christians, still drinking milk, not on solid food yet, and then young men, they moved along in their maturity to some degree. They are now eating of the solid food of the Word as well. They're growing in their walk with the Lord. God's using them. And then to the point of fathers, which we would look at as being mature, mature believers, walk with the Lord a long time, can impart a lot of wisdom and knowledge to others. They have discernment. Uh, God's grace at work in their lives they see that grace and they show much grace. Uh, someone that we would say, well, they're, they're a mature believer in the Lord. But what does Jesus say? To have what? The faith of a little child. It's almost like this, you become fully mature in your walk with the Lord and you realize, I just need to have the faith as a little child, right? It comes a complete circle. You ever see that little logo for recycle? I think that would be good. You know, you just have the little recycle arrows and then you place... Little children, young men, fathers, and back. You know, that's where we should be. We should always be in that place where you have the faith of the little child. And what is that? Remembering back 
to what it was like when we first came to the Lord. Sometimes as we grow in our maturity, we forget that, don't we? We get to that point where uh, we're maybe resting in where God has brought us when He still wants it to be new and fresh in our lives. I think that's why we get so excited. It really touches our heart when someone accepts the Lord because it takes us back to that place. Man, I remember when I first came to the Lord. That, that was just exciting. It was like, wow, you know, all of a sudden, I have this whole new life I have. We looked at things differently. We approached things differently. And as we grow in our Christian walk, I think we sometimes get comfortable with what we know and we stand on that and we forget what it's like to have that faith as a little child. We need to go back there on a regular basis. That newfound refresh every day we need to be there. Man, I am just... These guys have been with the Lord for almost three years. They have seen things that had to just blow them away, right? They've just gone through something that had to blow them away. The washing of the feet and then the betrayer. And I mean, the things that are going on are just piling up, but they have experienced so much. And how does he address them? Little children. <laughs> it's like, you know, you've seen a lot. You've been through a lot. You still got a long way to go, guys. And uh, I know he says that to me all the time, you know. Yeah, you represent some years in ministry. You have some experience, but hey, kid, <laughs> it's as if he's calling me that little child. You still have a lot to learn, and I do. I have so much to learn. Because if I ever reach that point where I think I've got it all together, um, look out, something's about to, to take me down a couple notches, right? Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. He's saying to them the same thing that he told the, the, the religious leaders earlier. But in verse 44, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So way back when God first put it on my heart to, to plant this church, one of the things that just stood out with me was love God, love others. Because I feel like in that first one, if we're doing that well, we'll do the second one well. If we're doing the first one well, loving God, He will grant to us the capacity to do the second one well and effectively loving others. And if we're loving others, Jesus says, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, I was thinking about this yesterday as we're over doing the little celebration over at Birth and Feed with the Booths and that there were other believers there. And we have this commonality, this fellowship in that we are his disciples. And you could just, you know how when you're in one of those situations where you just Man, you just feel totally comfortable talking openly about the Lord because you're surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses. You know, you're, you're surrounded by brothers and sisters and you can just be bold. Even the, um, now stay with me on this because there were hula worship dancers there yesterday. That was a new thing for me. I had never seen someone doing hula dances and worshiping the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, it blew me away. The hearts of these ladies, the boldness of these ladies, was just amazing. Hula dancing next to a feed store in Berthoud. Talk about... <laughs> yeah, girl. <laughs> you talk about something that just kind of, at first glance, looks somewhat out of place. Uh, <laughs> dressed in their hula costumes. It did. It was just at first. And of course, they were encouraging people to join them at one point. In a, I don't dance, okay? <laughs> it's the reason I learned to play guitar years ago, so I wouldn't have to dance. I could play guitar. But uh, I just don't dance. But I was so taken in by the testimony. They were just bold and out there sharing their faith and dancing to Christian songs, doing hula. And I thought, God can use anybody at any time, in any situation, however he wants. Because can you imagine if you've never heard of that and someone approached you and says, hey, I would like to come to your church sometime, you know, if, if you would have me and, and do hula worship dancing. 
Okay, I'll pray about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to the leadership. We'll pray about that. We'll get, we'll get back to you. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, at first glance, it's what, man, I tell you what, I just, uh, I love those ladies. They hung around and got to talk to them for a while. And uh, one of them even prayed for our ministry, you know, and you're just thinking, wow, this is just so, so cool. I know nothing about hula. I know that it comes from Hawaii. Uh, Tracy can probably fill us all in on that a little bit. But I was just blessed by it. I, I was. I was totally blessed by that. Well, how did I get there? I have no idea. But back to our text. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The command itself is not a new command. It's an Old Testament command. The Old Testament is filled with commandments and exhortations to love. But here we're going to see Jesus gives it a new twist. So it is a new commandment. What is that? Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. And again, that's one of those verses that should have a little reverb behind it for us. As I have loved you, 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 you know. It should have an exclamation point at the end of it. He has, and most certainly will, show them the ultimate example of love. We'll see him say this in a couple of chapters when we get to John 15, verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. So the commandment is... To what? Lay down our life for our friends, right? Who are our friends? Who would we consider to be our friends? Who are Jesus' friends? Everybody, right? Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for our friends. We immediately think, well, yeah, just those people that I am friends with. <laughs> just those people that I know. Eh, it doesn't indicate that at all. So to lay down your life for your friends... Do you have friends that don't know Jesus? I think uh, if we did a show of hands, all of us would say we do. We have people that aren't our friends, obviously, that don't know Jesus either, right? And the best thing we could do to make them friends would be what? To introduce them to Jesus. The greatest love you can show them is to lay down your life in front of them that they may see how different it is. Laying down our life for them, in front of them, showing them what we have come to know, what we have come to experience in our relationship with Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, reconciliation was impossible without the sacrifice of an animal. We know that. And then in the New Testament, this Old Testament sacrifice is Jesus Christ. He's the innocent Lamb of God who lays down His life willingly for us. So the question is, do we love enough to die for something? Do we? There can never be true reconciliation between you and someone you're in conflict with unless you love as Christ has loved. That means we have to die to self. We have to say, I'm not going to press my point any further. I'm not going to grind my axe any longer. I'm not going to try to prove I'm right any longer. But sometimes we rationalize, don't we? We say, but, but I'm innocent. Well, Jesus was too, right? We say, I'm right. Well, so was Jesus. He was still crucified, wasn't he? He still had to lay down his life. For reconciliation to have a chance, we have to lay down our life, sacrifice to self, die to self, in the hope of re re uh, reconciliation. The hope of reconciliation. But it might not happen. Amen? What's our command to do? This is what we're commanded to do, but once again, we're not in charge of the results, are we? We lay down our life in the hope that they might see in us Jesus Christ and that they might be encouraged to believe in Him as well. But it might not happen. We always have to remember that it's in His control. We just do what we're told to do and we let Him handle those results, but we do it with the hope of, right? Right? reconciliation because we know 
that he's capable of bringing about reconciliation. We know that. He did it in us, didn't he? So we move forward obeying the commands that he's given us with the hope of reconciliation in that. So that reconciliation isn't just someone who we're crossways with. It's that friend or that not friend who should be a friend. Follow me on that logic somewhere there. Uh, that we reach out to them in the hope that they could be reconciled to the Savior that we know. Amen? In the hope that they would come to know Jesus Christ and believe in Him. So just like not everyone accepts the sacrifice of love that Jesus made for them, they might not for us. We have to be prepared for that. Most of us, I think, here are in a place in our Christian walk where we are willing to share our faith in Jesus Christ with someone else. Some of us are maybe a little more bold about it. We're a little more intentional about it. Some of us may be praying and waiting for that opportunity to come to pass where we could share our faith. But we know that we're commanded to, right? But we can be praying with the hope that that person, that friend or that person that could become our friend, that we have the hope of reconciliation in their lives. We are to pray as Jesus prays on the cross. Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. As we know the truth of Jesus Christ and as it applies to us in our lives, and we look at the life of someone else and what's going on, we do have the opportunity to pray this. Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have that relationship with you, that experience that we've had, so they just don't know. And in this, Jesus says, by this kind of love, all will know that you are my disciples. So whether or not they become disciples themselves, the text says that they will know that we are. And that should draw them. It should, something should uh, stir up inside of them that would cause them to want to check that out a little more. Jesus says, when you love like I do, when you love to the point of death, Dying to self. That's what he's challenging us with. Dying to ourselves to be put out there to be used by him. Well, verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you can, cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Seems like this is a statement that Jesus had already made to Peter about the washing the feet. You don't understand right now, but you will understand. And Peter, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter, good old Peter, said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. That had to hurt, didn't it? Really, Lord? Peter had such zeal, didn't he? Peter was always saying things uh, at the wrong time, saying the wrong thing, period. Saying things. I don't think Peter's being boasting here. I think he's just saying, Lord, I love you. I will lay down my life for you. I don't think he fully understood the context and what he was saying that is. How will he have to lay down his life for the Lord? Peter says, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me, Peter? You're going to deny me three times this very night. You're going to deny me three times. What is in my life, what is in your life that we need to lay down for the Lord? All of us have something. Wherever we are in our Christian walk, whatever level of maturity we think we've achieved or that we've gone through, there's still something out there, something in there that we need to lay down, don't we? For each one of us. It is probably something different for every one of us because God is, works uniquely in each one of us to bring to surface the things in our life that doesn't please Him. And we all have it. Is, is anybody here perfect? I just Okay, good. Because I was going to be really intimidated if somebody raised their hand. Oh, 
they're perfect and what have I been saying and you know <laughs> we know we're not we know we're still a work in progress don't we we know there's still work to be done he who began a work in us will be faithful to complete it we will be perfect someday when we're with him in heaven I don't know about you that's just a little hard for me to picture right now <laughs> in me as I do an honest assessment an honest measurement of myself to see myself as perfect but think about this we know there's work to be done we know Jesus is going to continue that work in us but how does God see us because we know Jesus Christ God sees us through the filter if you will of Jesus Christ so we look holy and righteous to God does that blow you away really <laughs> I look holy and righteous to God yes because of Jesus Christ in us we need to always be in a place where we recognize and understand our position in Jesus Christ our position in Christ is one of great value it's one where the father looks at us and he sees us as holy and righteous because he's looking through Jesus Christ his son it's an amazing thing amazing well, how deep is our love for the Lord? What, what is it in our life that we need to lay down? We gather together on Sunday mornings, Thursday nights, to ladies' studies, whenever it is, because we desire to grow in our walk with the Lord, don't we? We want to be further equipped so that we're growing closer to the Lord and so that we can be used more by the Lord for whatever it is that He has for us, to be of value to the Lord. So that growing process, that purging, that heating things up and wiping off the dross <laughs> so that the, the pure, uh, valuable metals can come and, and we can be holy and pure, that He can use us in a way that we've never even experienced before. But there's times when there are those things that are in the way, if you will. God wants to remove those things so that we can be, again, draw closer to Him and be used more of Him. So laying down those things that might be uh, an issue, what are they? Is our love deep enough to lay down what He wants us to? It glorifies God and Jesus when we lay down our life and when we love like Jesus. Amen?